0: Jesus is making a declarative statement about being what? The Son of God. And if you notice in most of our Bibles, that I am He, the He is italicized. So what is Jesus doing here? He says, I that speak to you am. He doesn't say was, he doesn't say became, I am. Just like he says in John chapter 8, before Abraham was, I am. He's transcendent over time. He simply exists. He did not come to exist in the belly of Mary. No, he existed before her belly and he went into her belly to be born of a woman. So that he could save us who were slaves to the law. I want to bring you to a couple different portions of Scripture. Today, we are going to consider Jesus, the master of the deliberate question. I started thinking this week, and I've thought about this a lot off and on, about the fact that when Jesus asked a question, he asked very probative, direct questions for a specific purpose. So I want to look at three of those with you today. And, you know, there's so many questions that he did ask that I may return to this topic in the future and look at a few more um, if I come back next year in the will of the Lord. But these are three that stuck out to me that I felt I should bring to you today. And so if you're taking notes The first question that we're going to consider today is a question that prompted decision. We're looking at three questions today. The first one is a question that prompted decision. The second one is a question that demanded declaration. And the third one is a question that showed desperate determination in the disciples. So, I hope that as you write these down that you will consider them and Study them on your own um, as we continue through. And so let's open in a word of prayer before we go to our first passage. Heavenly Father, Lord, we invite you here. We know that you're already here, but we ask that you would come here in a special way and just anoint what is said today, that it would be of you. I ask that you would make the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart pleasing to you, and that that would come forth in this message, that you would cast out anything that is not of you, and that we would leave here better people for having been under the sound of your word. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So I want to start out today by leading you to the book of John, chapter 9. And I've preached on this passage before, And usually we start with verse 1 and we talk about the man born blind and how he is healed. As a physically disabled man, I really love this story and I love the fact that someday my corruptible body will put on incorruption, my mortal body will put on immortality, and I will leave this wheelchair far behind. And I look forward to that day. Um, But I believe that sometimes God gives us Temporary struggles to keep us close to him. And I believe that as Paul was given his thorn in the flesh to buffet him and to learn of God's sufficient grace, so he has given me my thorn in the flesh for the same purpose. But after Jesus healed this man, physically he did something even more miraculous. He saved this man's soul. The thing is that we have to remember is that Jesus loved to do miracles. He loved to heal people. I believe that. There's no doubt in my mind. But his reasons for healing people were to point out scriptural truth. What did he say to the religious leaders who were sitting in that house, scraping roof tiles off their clothing when the layman came through the roof? He said, but so that you will see that the son of man has power on earth to forgive sins, I say to the man, cripple of the palsy, rise up and walk. And and though because these people were questioning in their minds, why is he doing this? And he could read their minds. Imagine being standing next to somebody physically that could read your mind. That would be kind of scary. Some of the things in my mind are are scary, but God has redeemed me. And I'm thankful for that. But his reason, in part, for healing this lame man was so that people would see that he was not just the Savior of physical life, but the Savior of spiritual life. So let's look at John 9. We'll start reading in verse 35 today. Again, going through this story in summary, the disciples say, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And Jesus said, neither he or his parents sinned. Of course, he's not saying they were perfect, but he's saying that their sin did not contribute to this blindness, but it was so that the power of God could rest upon him. And be made manifest in him. So he heals the blind man. And then the people say, Are you the one that was born blind? And he says, Yes, I am. And he goes before the synagogue leaders. And they say, How are you healed? He said, A man put mud on my eyes and healed me. And I came back seeing after I washed in the pool. And then they kept challenging him. They asked his parents. After asking him, and his parents were scared, so they said, well, ask him, he's of age. And then he said, I know, I don't know who he is, but I know that this man is from God. Because if he wasn't from God, he could do nothing. And then these Pharisees say a very telling thing. They say, are you a sinner? And do you teach us? What do you think each of those religious leaders has in common with all of us in this room? They were sinners because we are all sinners saved by the grace of a mighty God if we call upon him. So then he gets cast out of the synagogue for standing for Jesus, even without knowing his name. Verse 35 of John chapter 9 says, Jesus heard that they had cast him out and when He had found him, he said, Dost thou believe on the Son of God? He answered and said, Who is he, Lord, that I might believe on him? And Jesus said unto him, Thou hast both seen him, and it is he that talketh with thee. And he said, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. Notice here, this was the question that demanded decision. Jesus says, do you believe on the son of God? And this man doesn't say, no, I don't. He doesn't say, yes, I do. He says, who is he? Who is this son of God that I might believe on him? And Jesus said, thou hast both seen him and it is he that talketh with thee. And he said, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. You know, for people to say that Jesus did not claim to be God, bring them to John chapter 9, verses 35 to 38. Because right here, he says, I am he. I am the son of God. And not only that, but when the formerly blind man worships him, does he pull him up and say, don't worship me, I'm just a man? Peter did that. Paul did that. But Jesus doesn't do that. Why? Because Paul tells us Jesus was the fullness and is the fullness and always will be the fullness of the Godhead bodily. So I love this picture of the blind man being healed physically and then coming and then Jesus coming to him because the job is not done. You need to be healed spiritually as well. I just have a couple of cross-references that I want us to consider. So if the brothers could um, have your Bibles ready. The first one is John chapter 20, verses 30 and 31. John 20, 30 and 31. If someone could find that and stand and read it for us, that would be amazing. Life in his name. So this story of the blind man that John is relating is written so that you may believe and have life in the name of Jesus. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the what? Life. The life. We may have life through his name. The second cross-reference for this point, this first point, is John four twenty-five and 26. John four twenty five and 26. <laughs> the woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. When that one comes, he will declare all things to us. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you in these." Again, Jesus is making a declarative statement about being what? The son of God. And if you notice in most of our Bibles that I am he, the he is italicized. So what is Jesus doing here? He says, I that speak to you am. He doesn't say was. He doesn't say became. I am. Just like he says in John chapter 8, before Abraham was, I am. He's transcendent over God. He simply exists. He did not come to exist in the belly of Mary. No, he existed before her belly, and he went into her belly to be born of a woman so that he could save us who were slaves to the law. That is something that our minds can never fully comprehend, that the God of the universe said, I am not just going to come As an adult breathing fire, I'm going to come and I'm going to live a human life perfectly for 33 years. God didn't lower the standard of heaven in order to get us in. Rather, he sent Jesus to fulfill that standard so that you and I can be worthy. So our first point is that we had a question that prompted decision. This blind man, this formerly blind man, was faced with a decision. When Jesus said, do you believe on the Son of God? He said, who is he that I may believe on him? Because remember, he said before, I don't know who this is. But now he knows. And when he knew he had the right response, he fell down and worshipped That is the response that all of us who have been redeemed have experienced when we realize who Jesus is and what he did for us. We fall down and worship him. And one day, on my new glorified knees, I will bow before the Lord and proclaim him... (laughs) As Lord, to the glory of God the Father, according to Philippians. Amen. Every knee will bow. Even the most corrupt official you can think of will bow before God and acknowledge him as creator. Some will do so before they enter into heaven, and some will do so before they enter into everlasting punishment, but all will do so. The second question that I want to consider for you is one that demanded declaration. This one is found in Matthew chapter sixteen, verses thirteen to eighteen. Matthew sixteen, thirteen to eighteen, and uh we find one of the most relatable characters here, Peter. I don't know if you're anything like me, but I'm pretty good at saying things that I regret later. And so I relate to our brother Peter because, um, and it encourages me because if God can use Peter, he can use you and me. But here's what it says in Matthew 16, 13 to 16. And I may include 17 as well. This is when Jesus came into the coast of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples saying, whom do men... Say that I, the Son of Man, am And they say, Some say that thou art John the Baptist, some Elias, others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He saith unto them, But whom say ye that I am? And Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the Living God. And so we see here that Jesus doesn't care. I mean, he did ask them what other people said. But his ultimate concern is not what your friend next to you thinks about Jesus. He's asking you today, just as he asked me 39 years ago. Who do you (coughs) say that I am? And so he asks this of Peter, and Peter says, Thou art the Christ the Son of the Living God, and then Jesus follows that up in verse seventeen, and He and Jesus answered and said unto him, "Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven." So He's saying <coughs> that this is a something that came from heaven to you by the revelation. Of the spirit of God. And we actually. See. That in verse 18. And I say unto thee. That thou art Peter. And upon this rock. I will build my church. And the gates of hell. Shall not prevail against it. Now I think this is an important verse here. In verse 18. Because. Some people will say that that means that God built his church on Peter. I don't believe that's what this is saying. Peter was just a man. And as we read read through this chapter, it appears that just a few minutes later he will say, far be it from you, Lord, when he says, I'm going to die for you guys, Peter. And then Jesus has to turn and rebuke him and say, get thee behind me, Satan. How easy it is to go from a mountaintop to the valley, amen? We all have done it. But I think what this is saying, I'm going to build my church on the declaration you just made, that I am the Christ, the Son of the living God. We sing to him, the is one foundation is Jesus Christ, her Lord. We read in the scriptures that he is the chief cornerstone. So the declaration was what he was building the church on. Not Peter. We need to make that very clear as we teach from his word. So this is a question that demanded declaration. And Peter declares, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. Let's look at John chapter 9 again. John nine seventeen. They said to the blind man again. What do you say about him as he opened your eyes and he said he is a prophet? So this, this is his interpretation of who Jesus was before he realized that he was the Son of God. And this reflects what we saw in our passage in Matthew about what people were saying about Jesus. Some say he's a prophet. Some say he's somebody else. But we know Peter says, I know that you are the Son of God. Let's see what the writer of Hebrews has to say about who Jesus is. Hebrews 1, 2 to 5. Hebrews 1, 2 to 5. In the last days, um, he has spoken to us in his Son, whom the appointed heir of all things, through whom he also made the world. And he is the radiance of his glory and the exact representation of his nature, And he upholds all things by the word of his power. When he he made purification by himself for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become much better than the angels, as he inherited a more excellent name than they. So he's the exact likeness and representation of the Father. Remember, Philip said in John chapter 14, Lord, show us the Father... And Jesus, probably grieving, I imagine that possibly even tears were in his eyes. And he says, how long have I been with you? And have you not seen the Father? He said, I and the Father are one. I am the exact representation of the Father. And he was the only one that could do away with sin because he was the perfect one. He was able to do away with sin once. After all those bulls and goats gave their lives to be a temporary covering for sin, He washed it away. Mm. Praise the Lord. Amen. Ephesians one and 15-19. Ephesians 1, 15-19. For this reason, I having heard of the faith in the Lord Jesus which exists among you, And your love for all the saints do not cease giving thanks for you while making mention of you in my prayers. But the God of our Lord Jesus Messiah, the Father of glory, may give to you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened, so that you may know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the surpassing greatness of his power toward us who believe? These are in accordance with the working of the strength of his might, which he brought upon Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. So, Paul is talking about all the wonderful treasures that we have in Christ. It is truly unplumbable. Christ is the great I am, Christ is the good shepherd. Christ is the lion of the tribe of Judah. Everything good, God is. I was talking to a resident of Guiding Light Mission when I was working there back in 2009. We were talking about Hebrews chapter 11, where it says, Him who cometh to God must believe what that He is and that He's a rewarder of them that diligently seek Him he said, why does it say we must believe that God is? And I said, I think the reason is because everything good, God is. If you think of a good character quality, God possesses it. And if we happen to have one inkling of that character quality, it is because we are made in the image of God. Everything good, God is. Final cross reference before we move on Ephesians 2 19 to 22. Ephesians 2 19 to 22. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens and with the saints and are of God's household. <coughs> Having been built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole building being fitted together is growing into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you are also being built together into a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. So we are built on the cornerstone Jesus. If your church doesn't put Jesus first, you're in the wrong church. At our church in Northwest, we have the, the verse up front, By the stage, that in all things he may have the preeminence. It's not about musical performances, it's not about youth programs or about big buildings. It's all about Jesus. 1 John tells us that we can know that people around us have the Spirit of God if they believe that Jesus is the Son of God. That is the litmus test. He wasn't just a good person. People who say that he was a good person, but that he wasn't God, miss all these things we've been talking about, where he has declared who he says he is. And also, good teachers don't lie. So if he said he is the son of God and he wasn't, then he can't be a good teacher because he's a liar. And the book of Romans says, let God be true and every man a liar. Our basis is because he is the truth. I always find it very sad and surreal that Pilate was standing right next to Jesus and he asked Jesus the question, what is truth? And I always want to scream to Pilate, he's standing right in front of you and you don't see it. But how often is that true of us? We try so often in our own efforts to accomplish things, but the only way that we can accomplish good is through him. Because he said, Without me, you can do nothing. So our third question of the day as we finish up here is a question that showed the desperate determination of the disciples john 667 to 69 john 667 to 69 to give a little background jesus has just fed the 5000 they ate until they were full they continued to follow him um and then when they realized that jesus was teaching them a spiritual lesson and didn't intend to give them another physical meal, they gradually left him. And Jesus asks a heartbreaking question in John chapter 6, verse 67, when he says, Then Jesus said unto the twelve, Will ye also go away? And I know that he knows all, but I have to wonder again, if there were tears in his eyes. Because the human side of him felt every emotion that we feel. Then Simon Peter, I'm sure the self-appointed spokesman for the group, Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? Thou alone has the words of eternal life. And I have to say to you today in full candor and honesty, that passage has encouraged me so much. Because every time I think about walking away from God, I'm reminded of this verse, Lord, to whom shall we go? For you alone have the words of eternal life. And that is why I believe in eternal security, because if it was possible for me to walk away from God, I would have done so already. But there's nowhere else to go because he has the words of eternal life. And in 69, Peter continues, And we believe and are sure. Remember we talked about hope in Sunday school. We talked about hope as being sure. Not as a maybe, but a sure thing. And we are sure that thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Again, Peter says it. You are the Christ, the son of the living God. My faith has found a resting place, not in device or creed. I trust the ever living one. His wounds for me shall plead. My hope is that you have not placed your faith or trust in doing the breaking of bread every week that you haven't placed your faith and trust in attending Carriage Hill every week, but that you've placed your faith and trust in the only one who can be trusted, and that is Jesus Christ. Amen. He has made all the difference in my life, and He can make all the difference in yours as well. Let's consider Psalm 73, 25. Psalm 73, 25. Oh, no, I have I in heaven but you? To you. I nothing on her. that's a convicting verse to me because sometimes I feel lonely sometimes I feel left out but I'm reminded that the most important thing that I have can never be taken away even if one day they throw me in prison for preaching the gospel They will never take Jesus away from me because he said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. He said, never. Isn't it wonderful? Consider this with me that Jesus always speaks in the definitive article. He doesn't say maybe. I don't know a single verse that says maybe. He says will. He says I will do this. He says, this will happen to you. What does he say? If you seek, you will find. That's why I believe that many seekers aren't really seekers. Because Jesus speaks in the definitive. If you seek me, you will find me. Not you may find me. You will. And Jesus is good to his word. So when he told his disciples, I'm going to rise again on the third day. Guess what? He rose again on the third day because he said that he would and it says that when they saw the empty tomb, then they remembered his words. He said it at least three times while he was still with them and they didn't believe. And when he was killed, John was there watching him die. I don't know if any of the other Disciples were on the fringes, but we know at least John was there. <clears throat> but we know that at least for a time, all the disciples for Sukkim and fled. They probably were thinking this whole three years without Rabbi is wasted time. Nothing is worth it anymore. And yet, three days later, he rose from the grave because he said that he would. And after they saw the empty tomb, they remembered his words. What a wonderful thing to remember the words of the Lord. Even the angels, what did they say to those going to the tomb? He said, why do you seek the living? Among the dead, he is not here, for he is risen just as he said. Just as he said, exactly as he said, he is risen. Acts 4.12. Acts 4.12. Many of us could probably quote it. Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name Under heaven, given among men, whereby you must be saved. Only the name of Jesus has the power to save. That's why you can talk about God blessing you all you want in the media, but as soon as you talk about Jesus, people don't want to hear it. Because there's power in the name of Jesus. It's not enough to intellectually believe in God. The Bible says that the demons believe and tremble. They know God's real, but it it has no redemptive effect. You can know God is real, but it won't save you. The only thing that will save you is to know him. You can know the words of the Bible and not know the word made flesh. One of my favorite stories in that regard is about a pastor who went to Israel and he saw this Israeli scribe writing out the Psalms. And that was his primary job. He wrote out the Psalms all day, every day. And the pastor said, it must be such a rich, rewarding experience for you to write out the Psalms every day. And the man turned to him and said, I'm an atheist. I don't believe these words. I just write them. The power is not in the words themselves, but it's in the word made flesh who wrote them who inspired the writers of the Bible to write them. I just want to share with you a song that talks about the hope that we have in the Lord Jesus. They all walked away, nothing to say they just lost their dearest friend. All oh, that he said, now he was dead. So this is how it would end. The dreams they had dreamed were not what they seemed. Now that he was dead and gone. The garden, the jail, the hammer, the nail. How could a knight so long then came the morning night turned into day the stone was rolled away hope rose with the dawn then came the morning shadows vanished before the sun Death had lost, and life had won, for morning had come. The angel, the star, the kings from afar, the wedding, the water, the wine. Now it was done, they'd taken her son, wasted before his time. She knew it was true She'd watched him die too She'd heard them call him Just a man But deep in her heart She knew from the start Somehow her son Would live again Then came the morning Night turned into day The stone was rolled away dawn. Then came the morning. Shadows vanished before the sun. Death had lost and life had won. For morning had come. For morning had come. How privileged we are to live on the other side of the cross. To be able to look into the tomb and see that morning has come. Lord, right now the people of Israel, your chosen people, are under attack. And we know that you told us to pray for the peace of Jerusalem. We know that you love them, that they are the apple of your eye. And so we pray for them and we ask you to guide and guard them. We ask that you would draw many to the Messiah. So many there don't know that the Messiah has come. And he loves them and he wants to draw them to himself. To be completed Jews. This Messiah that was prophesied in Isaiah 53 came and displayed himself in the gospels for us so i pray for organizations like jews for jesus or jewish voice who are trying to proclaim the gospel to those lost in sin and waiting for a messiah that has already come lord we pray that we would be a people of the word that we would rightly divide the word of truth and that we would stand as beacons of light in this sin sick generation Because we believe in the risen Savior, Jesus Christ. We thank you and praise you for the wondrous opportunity that we have to love and serve you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.